it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? Then maybe you should check out The Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh, stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much-needed Z's, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is session number six. Today, we're going to have myself, Dave Ahern, and Andrew Sather. We're going to riff on some ideas today. Today, we're going to talk about things the financial services industry will never admit. So this should be a little bit of fun. Andrew and I are going to take a few minutes, and we're just going to talk about what we think about the financial industry, and we're going to kind of go back and forth. So with that, Andrew, if you want to go ahead and start chatting a little bit, and we can have a little conversation. Yeah, I guess I'll say first off is this is probably a bad move. You know, we're probably going to get a couple targets on our backs and it might even, you know, some of this stuff might make the listeners less likely to listen to us or might make them not like us. Whatever it is, the way I kind of look at it is if I was in the listener's shoes, if I'm talking to somebody in my family, somebody I care about, these are the type of things Based on my limited experience, what I've learned so far, these are the type of things that I would want to know and that I think anybody who's starting out should at least be aware of, not to be disappointed or feel that the cards are stacked against you, but really just to be aware and to understand. And I think from there can really can give you a better filter, make you 
if you can figure out what drives people to do what they do, understand where people's interests are and where the financial incentives are, if you can really understand that, I think it goes a long way towards understanding and giving a better grasp of why things tend to work the way they do. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, as far as the target on our back and maybe upsetting and offending people, truth always sets you free. And, you know, we got to talk about what really goes on with the industry. And you can see the people out there that are, you know, in it for themselves as opposed to acting as a fiduciary and really being responsible for the people that they're representing and giving advice to. And, you know, a more topic, recent topic with the pause on the fiduciary services rollout of the new rules and laws that are going to be taking effect, you know, it affects a, a lot of people. And there are a lot of people out there in the financial industry that are just out there to make a buck. They don't give a crap about who they hurt and how much they mislead people or don't tell them the whole story or don't tell them the whole truth. And, you know, I think it's our job and our duty as somebody who cares about helping people invest for their life and save for their retirement, save for their children's retirement, help them, you know, be more responsible and better financially for themselves. It's our responsibility and our duty to bring those things to light because the only way that those things will ever stop is more people are aware of it and people take action on what upsets them, I think. So, yeah, the key definitely, you know, being aware. And I think it's important too to be aware that where these words are coming from, this is myself and you, Dave. We are now part of the financial services industry in a way because of this podcast through what we do online. And so it's important to not only understand how the whole picture works, but also where our stance on it is. And if you can get a sense into that, kind of step into our shoes you'll understand better how you can apply it to your own situation. So, I mean, for me, I'll admit I'm not like the best person out there when it comes to living life, I guess. You know, I have my my downfalls and my mistakes just like anybody else. And I don't want to say that I'm better than a big group of people or even an entire industry. However, the way I've set up my business is so that it aligns with my own values. And so what that means for me is I really value freedom, freedom of time, freedom of expectation, freedom of stress. Um, That's a big reason why I do everything I do. I really structure everything from a business perspective towards trying to attain that freedom. And so what that means for me personally is I don't take other people's money. I don't, I, I give advice and recommendations based on my experience and what I am very knowledgeable on, but I don't take other people's money because I know that I cannot control how other people think. And so the idea of like creating a mutual fund or, or pooling together a bunch of money doesn't appeal to me because it comes with that responsibility comes the possibility that people who aren't as aware of how Wall Street works will pull out their money and really hurt the ability to make returns. And so I'm, I put that responsibility of making returns on myself and through the podcast, through the blog, make that as an option available for everybody. And so my whole point in saying that is the way that I've chosen to structure my business in this way, where I 
want to find the most freedom for myself and the most freedom for the people I help, it kind of naturally aligns the interests of anybody who chooses to follow me in the sense that if the whole entire goal for me is to make a system that will minimize how much time I have to put into it, how much responsibility I have to feel, and how much, frankly, results I can get for people. Because this only works if if the advice helps people. So you see, I'm not some like superhuman, out-to-save-the-world type of person. The truth is, if I want to pursue this type of approach, then I have to make advice that's not only credible, but helps people. I guess that's the whole point of what I'm trying to say is, and I think we should talk about how when interests don't align on Wall Street particularly, it can really be problematic for investors, especially if they're not aware of that, that dichotomy. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. You know, my, my thoughts on that are the same. You know, the whole reason why I started doing this was because, you know, my day job, I work in the financial industry, I work in a bank, and I see on a day-to-day basis people that are struggling, people are learning the hard way. And I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to help people, you know, not learn the hard way. You know, sometimes learning the hard way is the best way to learn. But I think there are so many fundamental, you know, things that are missed. Money is just not taught in the schools. And I'm not really sure why. You know, most of us, including myself, have had to learn on the streets, if you will. And I think, you know, people prey on that. You know, they see people walk in that aren't educated, that are not financially savvy and they don't know the questions to ask and they don't know really what should be you know a good strategy for them you know that really what's what it comes down to is every person is you know every individual has their own makeup and they have their own way of doing things and you know our job the way i see it is to work with each individual and try to find things that are going to work for them and give them a presentation of things that, okay, this is what's going to help you. Maybe this won't help you. Okay, that's great. If that won't help you, then we can move on and find something else and just try to tailor things to make them fit to work with each individual person. And kind of the way that I've structured what I'm doing is I'm, you know, I'm trying to be an educator and try to be out there to help people and help people learn so that they can make the choices so they can find their own freedom, whatever that may be, and not try to stick everybody into a, you know, a pigeonhole. And, you know, kind of segueing off of that, you know, the, you know, the, the way the financial industry is, is kind of set up is the, especially with Wall Street and the investing part of it, you know, the profit is made more in what they sell as opposed to what actually the returns that people get. You know, there's been a lot of talk about passive versus uh, active management of funds. And, you know, as somebody who works in, in the industry, you know, I can see it on a day-to-day basis. You know, I can see people that come in that are really not savvy and they have money to invest and they're given advice and guidance based on how much money it's going to make the person that's making the suggestions as opposed to the person that's receiving the suggestions. They wouldn't know, you know, if, if person, you know, if the advisor told them to buy Berkshire Hathaway or to buy Enron or to buy Tesla or Apple, they wouldn't have any idea. Uh, They may have heard of those companies, but they wouldn't know the ins and outs of them. Or if they told them to buy this, you know, front loaded mutual fund that's going to cost them 6% a year and it's only going to make 3% a year, you know, they, they wouldn't know the difference from any of that. And, 
you know, that's where I think this fiduciary law would be mutually many, 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 many beneficial for people because it would require those people to actually tell them those that information as opposed to going, hey, this is great. I think this is what you should do. And it's kind of like going to a doctor. When a doctor tells you, you know, hey, I should do this. You, okay. The doctor says, hey, I should do this. And it kind of works the same way in the financial industry. You walk into a bank, you walk into a financial advisor and, you know, they're not always necessarily looking out for you. There are good people out there. I'm not, I don't want to just blanket cover and say there are not good people out there. And I've worked with plenty of them, but I've also seen some super, super shady stuff and people that are just out to make a buck and a profit off of selling things, it, their advice, as opposed to the advice actually beginning. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yeah, I mean, a perfect example of that is the brokerage, right? So a brokerage firm is paid not based on how much you make as an individual investor, but based on how many trades they execute. So they're going to get paid per trade. And this works not only on the individual level, also the institutional level. And you can even talk about uh, when they do like investment, I guess investment banking, when there's underwritings, when you have IPOs or secondary offerings, yes. those can make even even much greater commissions. But take, I don't want to single any company out, but if, if you look at any brokerage website and you become a client of theirs, chances are you're going to see a lot of what they call resources and information but if you know this, it's going to be really targeted towards the things that will make them money. So they're going to really try to push options on you. Yes. They're going to tr- they're going to try to push the type of strategies that have you going in and out. So lots of day even, trading, I mean, hedging. Yes. All the, yeah. All yeah. Those, all all that, that kind of stuff gets you sucked in with leverage on any sort of options trade, trying to short whatever it may be. So they do that. Not, they're not doing. They they masquerade it as if it's some sort of resource to help you but really they're structuring their website to make it look like that this is the right way to become an educated investor when it's not it's the right way to line their own pockets and i think even with a fiduciary disclosure or not it's not i mean who's going to read a little disclaimer at the bottom of the website <laughs> yeah, right it's true very it, true these are just the type of <laughs> these are the type of things that you just have to be aware of so i think brokerage Understanding what the financial, the financial incentive of the company, and understanding that's that's why they're going to structure their business that way. Right. Exactly. Another another example of that would be mutual fund. You know, mutual funds are a huge one. Obviously, they'll they'll tend to take your fee up front, and they'll they'll call it a management fee. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. 
and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. And really what it is is an excuse for them to not only, number one, they're going to try to market. The, their number one goal is marketing. They, they want to try to get as many assets as many customers as they can to give money into the mutual fund. That's the number one goal. So yep. if they understand that they could invest, they could buy stocks in boring companies and actually do really well. But if they've learned through their marketing studies, through historical data, that actually they don't have to perform so well, but they have to buy the right stocks that everybody's talking about. And that's going to attract more clients then that becomes another sort of conflict of interest where you're you're putting your money in a company that's not necessarily aligning their interests in you and maybe trying to just bring in as much capital as they can. So they do that. They they charge these fees. Number one, it the gives them an excuse to have management really move things around. And then number two, they'll bring in managers who are financially incentivized to really get really great short-term results. So on one side, they're, they're trying to kind of get the popular vote and get these stocks that are really exciting. And that way, that when they show prospective investors, hey, this is our portfolio, look at all the, the hot stocks. We were able to call AMD. We were able to call Apple. Look at, look at us. And also, the fund manager wants to try to get as much gain in a short amount of time so they can put that, that in that same prospectus. Well, look at our one-year return. It's, it's 30%. They're going to formulate that prospectus and they're going to cherry pick a time period to make their returns look as great as they can. Chances are you look at a long enough time period and you'll see that those returns really aren't as great as they're propping them up to look like. You you want to see real results look over decades of time. Guys like Warren Buffett, Seth Klarman, Benjamin Graham, Peter Lynch, these guys 
have compounded really, really, really great amounts of capital over decades and not over some cherry pick three year, one year or some special five year period even. Right, exactly. And, you know, along the lines of that, you know, one of the things that I see is that the when people come in and are frustrated or upset because their returns haven't matched what's going on with the market, the fund manager will look at them and say, well, hey, you know, if we move it from this fund to this fund, if you look at the return for the last year of this fund, you know, that fund is is making, you know, better returns. So why don't we just switch your, you know, account from this account to that account and that will help them you know, get a better return. What they aren't telling them is that, you know, there may be other fees involved with that of selling out of the other mutual fund and then getting into the new mutual fund. And so there's more money to be made, you know, as opposed to sitting down and saying, okay, hey, what is your long-term strategy? What are you looking for to do? How do you want to approach this? And, you know, having a plan as opposed to just, you know, kind of adapting to whatever's happening at that, you know, present hot moment. You know, there's, you know, in, in a lot of financial guidance, there's always a comment that, you know, past results do not guarantee future returns. And, you know, that should be taken to heart when you're looking at some of these things that we're talking about. You know, if you look at, you know, some of the guys that Andrew just mentioned, the the Warren Buffetts and the Charlie Mungers of the world, those guys have been doing this for 50 some years and they've been kicking butt for 50 years. When you look at some of the mutual funds in particular to pick on them a little bit, they they haven't done as well. And, you know, that's why there's been such a huge exodus from active managed mutual funds to more of a passive indexing fund because the the returns haven't been adequate and they've been making money off of people for decades and they haven't earned the results that they should have and you know at some point it becomes kind of a beast on itself and it's harder to turn and there's lots of things that go into that but you know they're perfectly content to sit there and take their money every single year without telling their clients and their customers that hey this is not the best thing for us this is what we really need to do and and doing what they need to do you know another thing about the financial advisor kind of thing about you know selling investment advice and kind of the money that comes from that you know, a lot of financial advisors, their main goal is to get assets under management, to get people investing money with them. They don't necessarily care what kind of returns you're going to get because the more money that they have sitting in their portfolio, the more money they make. You know, they, they call it a, tra- a trailing, a tra- not a trailing stop, that's the word I'm going to think of, but they're residuals. So most financial advisors make anywhere from one to 3% of residuals. So if you have a million dollars, they're going to make one to 3% off of that assets under management a year for doing nothing, nothing. That's, that's just part of their pay of how they get paid for those kinds of things. So their goal is to try to generate more people to come invest with them so that they can make more money. And that's how they make their living. And a lot of them make awesome livings. Now, again, you know, I'm not trying to pick on financial advisors, but these are some of the things that I see. And, you know, these are some of the questions that need to be asked when you're going to sit down with a financial advisor is how do you get paid? You know, do you get paid on your results or do you get paid just because I gave you $125,000 
and you're not going to do anything with it. You know, I, you know, that, that's a, a really important question to ask somebody when you sit down with them. How are you getting paid? How do you make money? And if they can't tell you or if they throw some, you know, fancy words at you or just say thank you for your time, get up, go find somebody else. Because they're, you know, that person is only trying to take your money to take your money. They're not there to help you. And, you know, those are the kinds of things that I see you know, on a daily basis that, you know, can be really frustrating to me because I, I see people being fleeced for no reason. And anyway, that's my point. <laughs> okay. So ask me that question. Ask you that question? Yeah. So what, uh, how do you get paid, Andrew? Well, I'm very glad you asked. I actually have that prepared for you right here. And okay. if you turn to page three of this brochure and you look at this colorful chart here. No, but in all seriousness, in some ways, I'm a marketer too. Uh, the more people I can help, the more money I will make. Like I said before, it goes back to staying with my values. So I basically have my own investing strategy. I share that with my e-leather subscribers. That's my life savings is all going towards those picks. And then I also have a second product, the Value Chart Indicator book, where I share exactly how I came up with that strategy. So for me... It really comes down to if I'm succeeding, other people are succeeding. And I th really think that's the best way to align interests and make sure that somebody's on your side. I would agree with that. And, I, you know, I think the other question I guess I would ask besides how are you getting paid is how do you invest? You know, are you, you know, are you utilizing your own cooking? And I know based on all the things that you and I have talked about, you definitely are. You just said it right there that you're using your own life savings to follow the exact same advice and guidance that you give other people. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, you know, if that person that you're wanting to invest with is or use their information or follow their advice and they're not following their own advice, I mean, that would, like, for me personally, that would be huge red flags and alarms going off. Woo, 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 danger, Will Robinson. Hey, run that. You know, it's just, yeah, that would be <laughs> scary for me. You know, if somebody's not, they don't believe enough in what they're trying to sell to you or to suggest to you or give you advice on, then, you know, that would be something that you would run from. You know, I'll give you a, a quickie on restaurant business. If you ever go into a restaurant and you see employees sitting there eating the, the restaurant food, that's a good that's a good thing. Because if the if the staff likes the food, that means the food's great. That's always a little kicker if you're ever curious about what a restaurant's food is like. And I think the same thing applies with the financial industry. If they, if that person that's sitting across from you or that you're reading about on a blog is not following their own advice and their own guidance, then I think that would be something that would be concerning to me. And that's one of the things that I liked about Andrew and one of the things I took to him right away is, you know, he comes across as very trustworthy and he's, he's eating his own cooking and, you know, that to me says a lot about, you know, his values and his belief in a system that he's created to try to help people. And, you know, I think that's that's great. And, you know, there's like private considerations, too, right? Like if you talk to a financial advisor, maybe they might feel a question that's too personal. But if you ask them about what their strategy is and you can figure out within a couple minutes if they know what they're talking about or if they're just full of smoke. Oh, yes, very much so. All right, folks, well, thank you very much. That's all we have for you today. Next week, we'll be back with another episode. And thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate you taking the time. We hope you have a great week, and we'll talk to you later. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. 
Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.